Level Church, great to see all of you, all of our services all weekend long. My name is Matt Keller. I'm the lead pastor here at Next Level Church. Welcome to part five of our In the Zone series. And my, oh my, have we heard so much feedback over the last several weeks of this series. Is we've talked about how life has a way of, of distracting us. Life has a way of pushing what is urgent into the bull, center of the bullseye of our life, into the center of our focus and our attention, and pushing God, that which is most important and of our focus, outside of the center of that bullseye. And we've heard so many of you give so many different responses and testimonies of how this message has challenged you individually or corporately as a, as a church, you know, community of believers. And so I'm excited because this weekend in all of our services, this is part five, and we're talking about an inevitable outflow of when God is at the center of the bullseye of our life. That when we are living in the zone, when God is at the center of our life, there's something that is an inevitable outflow of that. And what we're going to talk about this weekend is this idea of worship. That worship is an inevitable outflow of God being at the center of the bullseye of our life. In other words, when we're living in the zone, we can't help but worship. But here's what I understand. I understand that in a church like ours, a church of our size, over five services in a weekend, you know, that sort of thing, that there are many of us who, you know, when we hear this word worship, we probably are like, okay, but what is that? Like, what does that mean? And maybe some of us, you know, we, we weren't raised in a church background and we're a little confused by that. Maybe some of us were raised in a more traditional background. And so that idea of worship, you know, we kind of have some misconceptions or some myths or some ideas, you know, of, of what we think this worship thing is. I know that's my story. That I wasn't raised uh, in a church like ours. I was raised in a more traditional, liturgical, uh, you know, type of church. And so when I was 15 or 16, whatever it was, I remember uh, going to, getting invited to a church that was a little bit more like ours uh, by my then-girlfriend, Sarah, now wife, uh, Sarah. And she, she took me to church, and we were sitting there, you know, like second row, whatever it was, because don't sit in the back if it's your first time. Just come on down to the second row, I guess. And so I was sitting there, you know, next to Sarah, my girlfriend at the time, and all of a sudden, like, this guy walks out with, like, this cherry red electric guitar and it's like and I looked at her I'm like what is that (laughs) and she was like I'll explain it later and then like somebody jumps up and they're on the drums and they're just like worshiping on the train I'm like what is that and she's like I'll explain it later and then you know later in the service there's like this choir and they're all step touching you know they got the robes on I'm like what is that I'll explain it later okay and then I'm like what is going okay so so here's the deal If you can relate to my story in any way, shape, or form this weekend, this is me explaining it later to you. That's what's going on this weekend is I want to take some time for us to slow down and and talk about what it means to, to worship. What is worship? Because some of us think worship are the slow songs and praise is the fast songs. Okay. Some of us think that worship is like the, is like the, the, the pre- cursor or whatever, you know, the, the, like the pre-thing before the main thing. Like, oh, well, that's just like warm up. It's just warm up until the main guy gets up there, until the comedian or whatever he is gets up there. Okay, that's, I appreciate the compliment. 
calling me a comedian there, but it's cool. You know, it's, I don't, it's, I, 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 you know, I, I receive that humbly, of course. So uh, it's almost, okay, we've got all kinds of misconceptions, don't we, about this whole worship thing. And so what we're going to do this weekend is we're going to talk about five big ideas about worship. Now, if you have your bulletin, I would love for you to open that up. On the inside left flap there, you'll see some fill in the blanks. That's just a great way for you to kind of follow along my train of thought here for the next few minutes of this talk. Or if you have your smartphone, you have the version app downloaded on that. If you search our zip code or Next Level Church or something like that, it's in your bulletin, the instructions. You'll be able to follow all of the notes and scriptures that we're going to talk through this weekend right there in your version app on your smartphone or your tablet device. So we're talking about five big ideas about worship this weekend. And here's the first one. Number one, if you want to write this down, worship according to the Bible, is a lifestyle. That worship, when we talk about this worship thing, worship according to the Bible is a lifestyle. In other words, it's an act of us pointing our lives at God and away from ourselves. It's an act of us pointing our lives away from ourselves and pointing our lives in the direction of God. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says this. This is the Apostle Paul wrote, writing to a, a group of Christian believers like us in a, a church in Rome. Here's what he says. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And then look at this next phrase. This is true worship. That according to Scripture, according to the Bible, true worship is a lifestyle. It's how we live our life. Paul writes them and to us as well, and he says, hey, offer your bodies, offer all that you are to God. This is your act of worship. This is, you want to know what worship is? Worship is offering all that you are, your whole life to God every day that we live. So in other words, here's what that means. We can't live however we want to live during the week and then come in here and sing a few songs or clap our hands or raise our hands and think that God's okay with that. That worship according to the Bible is a lifestyle. Galatians chapter 2 unpacks it a different way. Look at this, Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Paul again writing to a group of believers like us, a church in the city of Galatia. Now he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in other words, what I'm doing every day, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we say yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ, when we put our faith in Christ, we, in essence, die to ourselves. And we declare that Christ is the one who's now living in us. In other words, we don't get to do what we want to do anymore. We don't get to live however we want to live. We have now died to our own personal desires. We've died to ourselves. We've died to that. In the life we're living in the flesh every day, we have to now submit to what Jesus wants us to do, who Jesus wants us to be, the things Jesus wants us to say, the places Jesus wants us to go or not go. All of a sudden, our life is not our own anymore. And here's the thing. Every one of us who are married understand exactly what Paul is talking about. Come on, single guys. Come on, men in general. You know what I'm talking about. Before you're married, you go to the grocery store, you're buying Cocoa Puffs, 
You're buying Lucky Charms. You're buying Fruity Pebbles. Any cereal you want, you can just, you can get whatever cereal you want. You go to the grocery store, you're buying Twinkies. You're buying Swiss Cake Roll. Okay, now let me just pause for a second. Time out real quick because we need to leave our regularly scheduled programming just for a second. Because, and here's why. No, this is important. You got to understand this. Listen, I understand that in our world today, in the media today, Twinkies are getting all of the play. And I'm not okay with that. I mean, I'm, a, I'm as big of a Twinkie fan as anybody, okay? I get that whole, like, vanilla cream on the inside. Like, I get it, okay, in the whole, like, oh, no, union workers are on strike. No more Twinkies. Okay, you're playing with our emotions. You know what never plays with our emotions? Swiss cake rolls. Swiss cake rolls are where it's at. That's all I'm saying. No, listen, you have to understand. Hear me, hostess. It's not a game. You're playing with millions of people's emotions, and it's not, wait for it, okay. It's not okay. All right, Swiss cake rolls, they never leave you. They never forsake you. Swiss cake rolls are there for you always. Swiss cake rolls are always on the shelf. Swiss cake rolls, the creamy filling is always there. You can eat those things by the layer. You can layer off the chocolate layer, then the cake layer, down to the creamy white filling layer. You can't do that with a Twinkie. You can't do that. With a Twinkie. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. It matters. It matters. We, the American public, will not stand for it. I mean, we're going to keep eating Twinkies, but none of our behavior will change, but it, it needed to be said. It needed to be said. Okay, so what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, married people. Okay, men, you know what I'm talking about. You go grocery shopping when you're a single guy, you're buying Fruity Pebbles, you're buying Cocoa Puffs, you're buying Swiss Cake Rolls and Twinkies. You go to the ice cream aisle, you can buy anything you want. You buy Rocky Road, you buy Cookies and Cream, you buy Briars, you buy the good stuff. You buy all of that. If you like it, then you better put a ring on it. Okay, the minute you put a ring on it, here's the deal, man. Come on, tell me if this is not true. All of a sudden, grocery shopping, you, you ain't getting Fruity Pebbles and Cocoa Puffs anymore. You're getting oatmeal <laughs> and bananas. Unbelievable. You don't get Twinkies and Swiss cake rolls anymore. You know what you get? You get mojo bars. <laughs> and heaven forbid we bring home a half a gallon of cookies and cream. No, 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 no. We get yogurt. Okay, <laughs> listen up, wives. Ready? It's not the same. <laughs> we know you're swapping it out. Like, you can't fool us with that low-fat yogurt business. You can't fool us. We know the real deal. And don't even try. Don't even try and trade out our sugary syrup for our pancakes with that sugar-free stuff. <laughs> Negative. <laughs> it's not going to work. But it kind of does, doesn't it? You know why? Because when you get married, you lose the right to be like, but honey. And she's like, I don't. <laughs> okay, honey, right? Okay, that's what's going on here. What Paul writes to the church in Galatia, and he says, listen, for I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, the, the life I live in the flesh is no longer mine to choose. I do what he wants me to do. That's what it means when we, that worship is a lifestyle. The life that we live Monday to Sunday, all of the days, every day of the week, every hour of the day, we live submitted to Christ. That is worship according to the Bible. Number two, if you're taking notes, according to the Bible, worship is not only a lifestyle, but worship is an action. In other words, something we do. 
Worship, according to the Bible, is, is not just a lifestyle. It's also something we do. See, all through Scripture, we see that worship is an outward and physical act. In other words, it's, it's God made our bodies. He made our souls and our spirit. He made us as human beings with this need to extrovert. That when something moves us, when something touches us, when something changes us, when we grasp something, that, that we can't just sit there quietly. God made us with this, this gift, this ability to, to take what's on the inside and make it go on the outside. And all through scripture, we have example after example after example of how God wants us and gives us a, a model, an example of how we are to praise or to worship God. One of the greatest... Uh, um, Visual illustrations of this is, is at the time about a week before the first Easter that Jesus had been in doing his earthly ministry for about three years. And he was coming down to the end of that time. And so he was coming into Jerusalem. And as he's coming into Jerusalem, so many people were now convinced that he was the Messiah, that he was the Savior, that he was the chosen one who is going to, to bring salvation to Israel and we know to the world. And so as Jesus came on that first, what we would call Palm Sunday, or the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, people were so overjoyed at the presence of Jesus, at the, the presence of their Savior, their Messiah, their chosen one, that they started shouting, and they started singing, and they started, they grabbed palm branches, and they were waving them to Jesus. Why? Because they had to extrovert what they were feeling on the inside. They couldn't help but worship him when they came into his presence. And all through scripture, we see this pattern of, of example after example after example of how God has, has told us that we're allowed to worship him. That worship's not just a lifestyle. Worship is actually an action. It's something that we do. Look, in Psalm chapter 95, verse 6, just to point out a few, it says this, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, that, that there's, there's something about posturing our heart in humility, but there's also something about physically kneeling down. That something special takes place, something powerful happens in our life at the, at the physical posture of kneeling. The Bible says there's something to that as an act of worship to God. Psalm 59, verse 16, but I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me, a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. It points to this idea that, that God has made us in such a way that we can sing to the Lord. He says, I'll sing aloud. When I think about all you've done, when I think about how great you are, it makes me want to sing. And have you noticed that we live in a musical culture? Isn't it interesting that the world we live in is a multi-billion dollar industry called music? Music is everywhere. Think of it. Think of, of, of how music absolutely positively permeates our life and our world. Why? By chance? No. See, God made us musical. And even if we can't carry a tune in a bucket, it doesn't matter. Listen, there's something in us that wants to tap our foot. There's something in us that wants to slap our leg. There's something in us that wants to clap or sing along. There's something in us. Why? Because God made us with this, this innate thing inside of us that wants to praise, that wants to worship, that wants to sing. We live in a musical world because God made us musical beings. Look at uh, Psalm uh, chapter uh, 100, verse 1. Shout for joy to the Lord, 
all the earth, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. It says, listen, we're allowed to shout all through scripture. We see example after example after example of how we can do this. Singing and raising our hands, clapping our hands, kneeling, playing instruments, being still, shouting over and over and over again. We see this pattern that God wants us to worship him physically. Let me see if I can uh, bring a, a correlation to our modern day world. Football season is just a few weeks away, which is just, woohoo, right, which is, all, yeah, awesome, awesome. Loudest cheer of the night right there. That was, that's great. I think maybe we've got all this thing, worst thing wrong, but we'll work on that. Okay, so here's the deal. For a lot of us, and I'm not talking about, by the way, I'm, I'm talking about American football, not the other. Nah, I'll lay off of it tonight. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Okay. So um, in a few weeks, American football uh, is going to start. And for a lot of us, there's a good chance that we have a team that maybe, you know, it's a college football team. Maybe it's a, an NFL team, whatever case. So we all, we have our team that we love to root for. And, and here's the thing. It is right this fall when you're watching the game at your house and your team does something good. It is right for you to be like, woo, it is right to stand up and high five somebody. It is right to cheer. It is right to yell and scream. It is right to be like, woo, why? Because God made us with that something inside of us, of this desire to extrovert when, when something good happens, to worship, to pray. It is, that is a right response in us. See, here's, here's the deal. I was raised in Indiana. And so, uh, Indian, the Hoosiers, and here's the problem with Indiana football. We haven't been good since like 1969. <laughs> like we were at our pinnacle in 1969. It was like, woo, Rose Bowl bound and a guy on the moon. Amazing. Like just that's, that was like, okay, you know what you call Indiana football season in Indiana? Preseason for basketball. Like, that, like that's how bad we are. But here's the thing. I grew up every fall going down to Bloomington, Indiana, going to a game, watching the Indiana Hoosiers. I knew the fight song. Like, I, did, like I, I got it. Like, Indiana, our Indiana, Indiana, we're all for you. Ah, you, right? I got the motion. Like, the whole thing. Okay, here's the here's here's deal. You see, we, there's something in us, right? That when our team does something good, or in our case, for 44 years, something horribly, horribly bad. We still want to cheer for our team, right? And so watch this. Even when it's good, even when it's bad, we still stand up and sing the songs. We still stand up and cheer. And I'll use, uh, this is like Pastor Kyle. The last couple of years, his team has been awful. (laughs) Awful. I mean, at least at IU, we know we're bad. Like one year, our motto, like they printed it on all the schedules and all the billboards promoting Indiana football. It said, we're getting there. Like that was, that was, that is conceding defeat at the worst level. Horrible. But we still show up. We still sing the songs, even when they're bad. Like Kyle, he still cheers. The difference between IU football and Kyle's team, which shall remain nameless because it's been so horrible college football the last couple years for that team is we know we're bad they're pretending they're good they're all strutting around like oh yeah but yeah 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 no no you're two and eleven it's horrible okay here's here's the deal though watch this it is right god created us with this something in us that wants to extrovert when we're moved by our team but 
God doesn't just want us to cheer for our team and extrovert that stuff. According to scripture, God's like, hey, I want you to do the same thing for me. But the reason why we sometimes feel awkward about that is because at least we can see our team. God, we can't see. But God, that's the challenge of worship is saying, okay, God, listen, uh, uh, when we come into environment, we can sing, we can clap, we can shout, we can lift our hands, we can do all this. When we think about how good God is, when I read the words on the screens during worship song, I'm like, I, I'm, those are like prayers that I'm singing and praying, like internalizing those words. And even when we're not reflecting on, on all that God has done, that's so amazing and, and worthy of worship, just because of who God is. See, we sing for our team and cheer for our team even when they're not good. Why? Because of who they are. I'm a Hoosier fan, and they're the Hoosiers, and so we cheer for the Hoosiers. And in the same way, we cheer for God. We worship God just because of who he is, because he is our God, and he is worthy of our praise. <clears throat> now, let me, let me pause for a minute or two and, and, and bring uh, some, some extremely important teaching to what we're talking about this weekend. When it comes to an environment like this, inside of a local church, the Bible has a lot of very specific things to say about how things ought to be done in terms of how you and I as believers in Jesus worship him, especially when, and the Bible is so clear on this, especially when there are lost people present, especially when there are unchurched or de-churched or pre-churched or, or lost people in an environment like this. The Bible is very, very clear that God is extremely passionate and concerned about lost people. And so he makes very clear directives to churches like ours to make sure that we are aware of the presence of of unbelievers in our midst like we have here every weekend in all of our services. We have, we have strategically created these environments to be safe places because we understand that there are unbelievers, unchurched or de-churched people who are, are coming into this place and checking not just us out, but checking God out. Look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40. Paul is writing to, again, a church full of believers, and he says this about their worship environments like we create every weekend. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. He says, listen, you can't ever forget, kids, sons and daughters, followers of Jesus, that when there are unbelievers present, you must, you must make sure everything is done in a fitting and orderly way. And that's why we protect these environments in terms of our worship experiences. That's why we don't have flags. That's why we don't have tambourines. That's why we don't have people dancing down front or dancing in the aisles. And if you do, that's why we will come and talk to you and tell you you can't do that. Here's why. Because it matters. Because there are lost people present. It's true this weekend. And, and we talked to so many people over the last 11 and a half years. There have been so many times where people say to us, listen, the reason why I love Next Level Church is because I know it is a safe place for me to invite my unsaved, unchurched friends or coworkers or classmates or family members. And God says, listen, you must not ever forget that they are present. Look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 
Be careful, Paul writes, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. In other words, he says, yeah, when it comes to worship, do whatever you want. But be very, very careful that the exercising of your rights doesn't end up being a stumbling block to those who aren't where you are, who aren't as far along as you are. We have to guard and protect environments like this because every single weekend in all of our services, there are, there are unchurched people who are coming in who, who are, this Paul would say, are weak, who, who aren't where we are, and that's okay. That's not a judgmental statement. It just is what it is. And it's our responsibility as Christians to not let the exercising of our rights become a stumbling block to them. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, look at this. You, my brothers and sisters, Paul writing again, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. What is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, I've called you to be free. Yes, when God sets you free, worship, go crazy, sing, cheer, clap, kneel, shout, do all of those things. Yes, I want you to worship me like that, but be very, very careful because there's a fine line between freedom and indulging the flesh, between worship and showing off. And it's our responsibility as Christians to be aware of that. And so, listen, there are a lot of filters in terms of of, of that for us. Let me give you one of them. For example, if you and I are are, are followers of Jesus, and we don't regularly and consistently worship extravagantly at home, then we shouldn't come in here and do it. If you're not, like, getting your hallelujah flag right in your bedroom on Thursdays, like, okay, then we can't come into a place like this and be like, hallelujah, flags everywhere. Okay, no, no, it's not. That's, you, you, does that make sense? Okay, why? Because that's called a show. And that doesn't please the Lord. That's not worship. See, God wants us to be very, very careful and cautious. He says, no, 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 use your freedom. Not to indulge your own flesh. Not so you can do whatever you want. No, no, no. Use your freedom to serve others humbly. We're supposed to lay down our freedoms and rights for the sake of those who aren't in the family of God yet. For the sake of those who are checking it out. We're supposed to be the bigger ones who lay down our rights. That's what God intends. That's what God wants. And that's why we've created the environments we've created here at Next Level Church. So we can have a safe place for unchurched, dechurched, and lost people who are just checking it out to come in and not get freaked out by our rights and freedoms. See, worship is a lifestyle, but worship is an action. It's something that we do. Number three, if you're taking notes, number three, write this down. Worship centers our hearts. Worship centers our hearts. When we come into a place like this, the cares and distractions of the week can be swirling around us. But the minute we get in here and start to worship, it's as if we're recalibrating our heart to God. I know that's true for me. I know that sometimes and so often the the stresses and the pressures and the the to-do lists and all of the stuff that's going on can just be swirling in my mind. But then I'll pull on the parking lot for our weekend experiences. 
And when, as I'm getting out of my car and I'm turning it off, I'm like, okay, God, I'm just going to shut all of that off. And I just, wa- I just want to recalibrate. I just want to focus and center my heart on you. That's the power of worship. And we come into this place. That's why we have a countdown clock. Because we don't want you to miss a moment of being able to come into this place and experience God and through worship, recalibrate, recenter your heart on God. Number four, worship is making God big and us small. Worship is making God big and us small. I'm like you. Listen, I understand. It's easy for us to go about our week and to make the problems and stuff of life and even ourselves big. And consequently, God ends up becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. And for some of us, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe that's been your week this week. That everything else seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And consequently, when you look back, you're like, oh, oh, yeah. And God's, God's gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. But see, when we come into an atmosphere of worship like we create here at Next Level Church, listen, it's as if we're taking those two things, the cares and pressures of life that are big, and our God who, who gets smaller and smaller through the week, and we're turning those and flipping them over and going, God, no, you're big. That's right. That's right. See, the more we focus on God at the center of the bullseye, the smaller and smaller the outer rings get. That's the power of worship. Number five, worship is where God meets us tangibly. Worship is where God meets us tangibly. See, here's the incredible thing. When we center our focus on him, when we invite him in to make himself known, he does. See, if if, if you invited yourself over to someone's house and you, hey, you know what? I'd love to come over something. And they're like, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I'd love to come over something. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. And then at some point they say, hey, you know what? You want to come over? Okay. If you, if you said, man, I'd love to come over. And then someone says, hey, you should come over. You know what you do? You show up. You go. And watch this. All through scripture, God says, invite me in. Invite me in. Invite me in. Recognize my presence. Acknowledge that I'm here. Ask me to come and invade your world. And then when we do, the most amazing thing happens. God shows up. He does it. He actually shows up. And when he does, the Bible says that when he is lifted up, when we worship him, when we make him the focus and center of the bullseye of our life and our attention, when we make him, him big, the Bible says that tangible things start to happen. Not just for us who are believers, but for unbelievers as well. It's the craziest thing. I'm telling you, so many times we have people who walk up to one of our team in the foyer or somewhere across our church and go, hey, listen, I don't know what's going on in there, but something's going on in there. That was crazy. Okay, listen, that's the tangible presence of God. See, the Bible says when we worship him, he meets with us tangibly. And not just us believers, but unbelievers. It happened a couple weeks ago. Pastor Kyle was telling us that a guy walked up to him on a Saturday night after one of our services. He says, hey, I just want you to know I'm like not a church person. Like I don't go to church. But that was something else. That's what I'm talking about. And you and I, who are followers of Jesus, understand what, what he's feeling, what's going on in his heart. He can't explain it. They don't know. They don't know. All they know is, that was awesome. Something's going on. Well, you and I would know that's the tangible, manifest presence 
of God. And that's why we have to protect these environments. That's why we want to create these environments. Listen, that's why we play the music we play. Because if you rewound the tape in our culture 70 or 80 years ago, you would find a a whole generation of people who were listening to AM radio and listening to classical big band music. And so when you came into church, the organ was an acceptable instrument. And people went, oh yeah, I can relate to that. Today, that's not what people listen to. They listen to rock music. That's why it's loud. That's why we turn it up. That's why it's rock. So that when unchurched people come in, that's one less barrier that they go, oh yeah, I can't relate to that. Instead, they walk into an environment like this and they go, oh yeah, that's all. Wow, okay, that sounds like what I listen to on the radio. Yes. One less barrier. Why? So that the tangible presence of God, when God's people worship, can be made known. God says, invite me in. Watch what I'll do in your heart and in your midst. And when we do, he always does. So here's what we're going to do. In all of our services all weekend long, we've created some intentional space here at the back end. And the worship team and all of our services is going to come in just a moment. And we've created some space where you and I can worship, where we can do this. Remember in high school, like when your science teacher would teach every day, she'd come in and, okay, teach, teach, teach. And then after a couple of weeks, she'd say, okay, you come in one day and she goes, hey, put your books under your desk. We're having a lab. Everything we've been learning about from the book, we're going to experience. That's what we're going to do. We want to create some space for the next few minutes here before we move on with our time together and all of our services where we can have a lab because we've been studying the book. Now it's time for us to put the book under the desk and go, God, we want to worship you. Come and meet with us. So the worship team is going to come and join us in all of our services. I'm going to pray, and then we want to create some space where we can worship. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for an environment like this where we can worship. God, thank you that you made us beings who were meant to extrovert what we're feeling on the inside. So God, in these next few moments, I pray that you would make yourself real to us, to all of us, perhaps like you never have before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.